scripture for the day is 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I know many of you know this one by heart. I will read it. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Vernon mentioned to you that we are at the beginning of a, of a, a road that will go on toward Christian maturity, essentially toward second-mile Christianity. At the beginning of this process, the first trimester of 1991, We are talking about, if we're going on to second-mile Christianity, what is first-mile Christianity? That is, what do we have to have established in our lives without which we cannot get to second-mile Christianity? We will never get there. There's a certain distance that must be gone before we ever get to the beginning of maturity. Last week, I talked about... I don't blame you for this, because when people ask me what I preached about last Sunday, that's exactly what I do. Ah! Uh, last week I talked about the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I talked about the Christian custom of not worshiping the true God, but having a caricature of God, having a small picture of God. And usually our picture of God is way too small. We think of him in one picture or another, and we do not give him bounds beyond our understanding. And before we can ever go on to second-mile Christianity, we have to determine in our life that we will let down those boundaries in which we have kept him, and that we will let him become who he is, that he will, we will let him magnify our soul and expand it and stretch it way beyond where it is. First mile Christianity believes in God, but it believes in its own picture of God. Second mile Christianity will let go of that picture so that God can paint with a broader brush. Today, I want to talk about the second necessity. Not only is a true doctrine of God necessary, but a true doctrine of scriptures. Now, there are two dangers in preaching, two kinds of sermons that are very dangerous to preach. One kind is preaching a message that is so controversial that arouses so many emotions and so much disagreement that it is very difficult to listen to what is said. There is, however, a second kind directly at the opposite end of the spectrum. And that is preaching a sermon that everyone would agree to so readily that no one finds it difficult to listen and therefore no one finds it necessary to listen again because you've already agreed with this conclusion. I know of no one in this congregation who will disagree with me when I say that the Bible ought to be the source of God and His revelation in our life. Absolutely, I've never met anybody, any Christian person, who disagreed with that. But please do not fall into the trap of thinking that agreeing with that proposition is the same as exercising it in your life. Please listen 
because God will have something in this message for you even though you agree with it. In America, the Bible is the most revered book in existence. Eighty percent of Americans surveyed say that they believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Eighty percent. And of the other 20%, of the 20% who, who were surveyed who said, well, I don't believe it's the inspired Word of God, most of that other 20% readily agreed that the Bible should be the basis and was the basis for all the moral values in this country. That is an overwhelming reverence. However, in this country, reverence does not translate into reading. Whereas at least a third of the people agreed that only by reading the Bible would we ever come to know who God really is, there's only a third of the people in this country who read the Bible even once a week. And only 15% of the people in this country endeavor to read the Bible every day. 15%. I preach this sermon because I believe that not, not all of us are 15 percenters. I preach this sermon because I believe that many of us are well-intentioned. And some of us would even fall into the category, even though we're well-intentioned, of being of the 50% of the people who only read the Bible maybe once a month or less, who only read the Bible when they are highly motivated by some agitation in their life. I preach this sermon. Now part of that is because we have been inculcated in this culture not to depend on any source outside of ourselves for the answers to our lives or how to live our lives. Again, the Americans surveyed, 45%, when they were asked, when you have a problem, to whom do you, do you go to solve it? 45% said, myself. My own reasoning ability. That's where I go to solve my problem. 34% said, well, I go beyond. I go to some other source than myself. What troubles me was that only 17% say, I rely both on my reason and on some other source. That troubles me. Because that's what the Scripture asks us to do. It asks us to take in the Word of God and to listen to the Word of God fed through the thinking power that He's given us. Now, before you go very far into this, you have to decide where the Word of God is in your own authority structure. Where is Scripture? Where do you believe uh, is Scripture on its degree of coming from God and its importance of being the sole authority in your life, the sole authority of all knowledge of God, even of behavior and conduct. Let me give you a few different theories. First of all, there's the rationalists. They are the 45% who say, the Word of God is nice, I think it's a wonderful book, it adds to my life, and it's beautiful, but the people who wrote it were just intelligent people. And it's no more of God than any great play of Shakespeare or any great philosophical work of Aristotle. These are the rationalists. 
And they believe in natural revelation, but no supernatural revelation. Then there are the Romanists. And before you get too excited, if you're of a Roman Catholic background, as most of my family is, let me explain what a Romanist is. A Romanist doctrinally says, yes, Scripture has authority in our life, but equal with Scripture is the church. Because the church decided on what the canon of Scripture would be. And therefore, the church is as much authority in telling people how to conduct their lives as the Bible is. Now, most Protestants would say, no way. I do not believe that, that the church has equal authority with the Bible. But let me ask you this. To whom do you listen more? Do you listen more to the direct words of Scripture by reading them yourself? Or, when you want advice and counsel, do you come to the church? Most of us are practicing Roman Catholics. We are. Because we believe by our behavior that the church has better counsel for us than the direct word of God. Third, there is the mystics. There are the mystics. Those are the people who believe on a direct personal insight as much as they believe in the written word of God. These are the people who say constantly, God told me, without a scripture reference. Now let me tell you that you have to be very careful when you hear a God told me without a scripture reference. Very careful. If you cannot find a direct corollary in the word of God for what God has told you, the very distinct possibility that that message could either be coming from the other side or out of your own flesh. The mystic is one who puts personal revelation either equal with or beyond, in practice, the written word of God, number one, because it's more emotionally gratifying, and number two, it's less work. <clears throat> and so therefore, they are very tickled to say, God told me this and God told me that, and instead of going through the work of knowing what Scripture really says, I just listen to God myself. Very dangerous. You are isolated when you do that, and Satan can very easily pick off a loner. Number four, there are the neo-Orthodox people who say, well, the Word of God is, in, uh, is, is without uh, uh, mistake, it is infallible, and it is inspired as far as its purpose and its content. But the words itself have many mistakes. My question to you, if you believe that, is how do you tell the difference between the concepts and the words? Where did you get the concepts? Number five, I don't know where we are in this list right now. I, I lose track. Are the cults. The cults would place the Word of God, that is the Bible, the words of God, the Word of God is Christ, the words of God, they would place that right alongside another book. Be very careful being involved in anything when, when there is more than the Bible as the authority of doctrine for that faith. They would place it along uh, the, the uh, I forget what the Jehovah's Witnesses have, but the Book of Mormon or the, or the Victor Paul Weirwolf stuff of the way or whatever. They would say that the founder has an authority that is equal with the words of Christ and the words inspired by God in this book. We do not believe this. And there are more, but let me get to the orthodox point. The orthodox point 
in which this church believes that the, is that the plenary word of God is inspired and infallible in its original manuscripts and it is our sole and final authority. Authority for how we conduct our lives and what we believe. That's where we are. Now I will say to you that unless you come to that conclusion at some time in your life, the Bible will naturally have less of an impact on you as a person because it has been reduced in its authority. But that's up to you, what you believe and where you are in all of that. Now, let me tell you, let me give you four reasons. I, I thought of about a, a lot of ways I'd like to, I'd like to teach this message. But, <clears throat> but I came down to the place <clears throat> where if I, could, if I could convince those of you who in the first place are very willing to be convinced, I suspect, that only by regular and consistent, direct, reading of the Word of God where your eyes are on the page itself. Only by that are you able to get to the place where you can mature in the faith. If I could motivate you to that behavior, sometime from now, you will be so much deeper in the faith than you can even picture right now. It won't even be funny. Actually, it will be fun, but it won't be funny. First reason. The Bible is a book that can teach you more about yourself and about your world than any other book in existence. One of the things that absolutely fascinates me right now is this culture's fixation with psychology. Now, I want to say to you at the beginning, I have no quarrel with psychology. I know some of you do. I do not. My doctorate is in culture and personality. Much of that was in pastoral counseling. I went through counseling myself. It is a valuable process. I have absolutely no quarrel with psychology. But let's see what psychology really is. Psychology is really the technicalities of how we operate. Psychology was never meant to give meaning to your life or to tell you the purpose for your life. It is not something that you can glean for yourself the ultimate decision of who you are and why you were put here. It can't do that. It's not meant for it. Therefore, the book that can give you that information is Scripture. In Ephesians 2.10, where it says that God made good works and you were foreordained that you should walk in them. What are they? What are those good works for your life? Where are you walking? Even if you get repaired psychologically, where are you going? Until you know that, you have nothing. You can repair a machine, but if it doesn't know what to do, how to operate, it's no good. There is nothing automatic about this life. And therefore, if you really want to know about yourself, over the years of studying Scripture, you will learn more about who you are than any book, any other book can teach you. Number two, it is important to note that only in Scripture can you really learn who God is. More than any other book, the Bible can teach you who God is and what are the values that are transcendent and lasting. What does Isaiah 40, verse 8 say? The grass withers and the flower fades, but... The word of the Lord stands forever. 
I went to, uh, I was, uh, did a little talk and a prayer last night at a, at a convention or a meeting, and uh, Carol Nelson was there, and she is a talk show host. I like Carol, by the way. I listen to her on the way to the gym almost every day or listen to part of her program. I can't stand her to cohorts. No, I, I, I have more trouble with them, uh, Clive Thomas and Jim Phillips, because they, they garner their audience by means of provocation and contentiousness. Carol, on the other hand, does a lot of book reviews. Does a lot, I mean, I mean, it's it is a it's an entertaining thing, but it's also informational. And is, is informational a word? I don't know. Information giving. It's also information giving. So anyhow, I was absolutely fascinated with the talk she gave last night because she was talking about the future and some of what those in the media uh, are are called to do is to go away and go through schools to tag uh, on the future. Uh, trends in this culture so that they can be ahead of the game. And when she did that, she learned some fascinating things. And one of the things that she said, probably the main uh, part of her talk all night, was to tell this audience that because of the advancement of technology, we will be, and, and, the, and the intention of marketing, we will be more intensely isolated than we ever have been in our lives. Do you know why? Because now the marketing uh, personnel are beginning to develop the technology that can know all about who you are, what you're going to shop for, and they are developing what in broadcasting used to be called narrow casting. And the magazines you receive will have your name on them as far as who you are and the types of advertisements that are in there. Some of you get now the, uh, you know, the, um, what we all fill out with those stamps. What is that? Publishing Clearinghouse thing. And it's got your name typed in. It says, Joel Hunter has been awarded a million dollars, you know, and you tear the thing open. <laughs> well, that is just a shadow of what is to come because Time and U.S. News and World Report and Newsweek will become become personally bound for you. And they will have advertisements in there that are only for people in your narrow category. They're going to come and know your name. See? Now, sociologists tell us one of the things that is going to happen when that happens is that we are going to become even more isolated and more fragmented as a society. We're going to feel more alone. The second thing that is going to happen is the continuing rapid development and therefore the obsolescence of what we already know. You know the entire body of knowledge that we have doubles every eight years. You know how fast that makes obsolete what we think we already know? Real fast. Now here's the good thing. She said this in her talk last night. One of the great things that could come out of the developing technology is the fact that people are going to be so hungry and so thirsty for the spiritual values of life because they don't fade away. They are going to be so hungry and so thirsty for the things that unite rather than the things that isolate. They're going to be hungry and thirsty for the things that transcend all of the passing attention of life. You know where you find that? In the Word of God. Word of God. And if you know that, if you know what's in here, 
you will have what this world needs, this culture especially, needs for the future. Third, if you will turn to the passage that uh, Vernon read, uh, verse 24. Verse 24, I'm sorry, of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Verses 25 through 27, I will read those again, and then I'm going to skip down to 31 and 32. This is after Jesus is resurrected, and Jesus is standing in their midst, and they do not see him. They do not recognize who he is. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just as exactly as... as, I'm sorry, that's verse 24. Found just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, this is terrific irony. They didn't see him. We don't know where he is. He's standing right in front of them. And he said to them, that is Jesus, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, what happens as a result of that biblical rehearsal? Down to 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, now listen to this, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Do you know what scriptures do? The scriptures don't only tell about a Jesus who is past, and they don't only tell about biblical principles with which you can operate your life. The scriptures open up to recognize the Jesus that is standing right in your midst right now. If you read the Word of God, you will see more and more how Jesus is right beside you. Your spiritual eyes will be opened in such a way that you will not have to go back to the Scriptures for a history lesson because you will have Jesus himself to teach you what to do right now. It is so important for us to understand that the Scriptures are for now, for today, so important. And then fourth, and this is something you may never have thought about before, so I want you to listen very closely. There is something that we can get in the development of our character and the development of our minds by reading Scripture that we cannot get in hearing about Scripture. Many of you grew up in the 60s, and you remember Marshall McLuhan when he said, the medium is the message. That is, the medium that is used has a definite effect on the content and on the hearer, on the one who receives that message. Now listen to me carefully. Until this country was in its 19th, or until the 19th century, this country was a print-based culture. That is, the literacy rate among men at the founding of the culture was 95%. 95%. 
And the things that were written by Hamilton and Madison, the Federalist Papers, were read with understanding by the general culture. Now listen, come, come along with me here. Don't fade on me. It is important that we realize that the revivalist in the past centuries, the, the Jonathan Edwards, the George Whitfields, were people who preached theology. They didn't flash stimulus response. They did not give you some hollow, hyped-up, emotional um, um, tidbit that you could growl around and, and just come up with a lot of emotions that would keep you going for maybe an hour. These religious teachers, from the very beginning, did you know at the very founding of this country, the preachers were given $10, 10 pounds, I'm sorry, 10 pounds, to start religious libraries. The, the, the reason we have the word parson is because it comes from the word the person. He was the educated one in town because he read. And he would teach them what he read. What has happened in this culture, and if you don't believe me, there's a book out, Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death, absolutely fascinating, is that we have lost the capability of reasoning logically and sequentially because we have succumbed to television and radio mediums that have torn reality out of its context. We have no sense of history. We have no sense of what will happen out of present behavior because we are so content to see something out of its context. Reading teaches us how to reason. Faith used to be something that expanded reason, not something that avoided reason. It used to be something to teach us how to um, um, develop solid thoughts that would last no matter what the circumstances instead of teaching us just to get a little bit of answer that was just enough for just now. When you read Scripture, you are going through the discipline that teaches you how to think spiritually. You can't get that in a sermon. You can't get that in a movie. You can't get that in a praise song. The only way you can get that is to go through the Word of God and let that Word of God be implanted on your mind and let it grow, and it will have its effect on you. It will have its effect. There is no easy way to become disciplined and mature. There is only the everyday reading of the Word of God. Not for the answers. Good grief. If the only time you go to the Bible is for an answer or you're in some sort of crisis, you will be frustrated beyond belief. Because the Bible isn't there as an answer book. The Bible is there as a book of life that teaches us all about how life operates. Let me ask you this. How many things do you think in your everyday life, how many details, do you believe directly apply or are directly um, um, intentioned for some religious insight? If you don't read the Bible, you would say, every once in a while, I get something that I have to go to God about because there's nobody else. It's a moral question. And I've just, that's when I go to the Bible. The more you read Scripture, 
the more your eyes will be opened and you'll see that everything is affected. Everything is spoken to by Scripture. We are building Christians these days who are undisciplined, who are uneducated, who are biblically illiterate, and then wonder why they can't seem to find any progress in their spiritual lives. I'll tell you why. Because they've not gone through the discipline of reading the Word. They're free. They're free. Listen, you who you baby boomers with me who came up through the 60s, ben, Benjamin Franklin once said something very wise. He said, anarchy is not the same as freedom. Anarchy is not the same as freedom. People who write free verse poetry. Robert Frost used to say, writing, writing free verse is like playing tennis with a net down. You've got, you've, got, you've got to have a discipline before you can have freedom, before you can have grace. I remember at a high university, I'll end with this, but I remember at a high university in the middle of the 60s, everybody had long hair. We were, we were all hippies, you know, and not all of us. There were some straights, but, but most of, many of us were hippies, and we went to a coffee house on Friday nights. And, uh, and in that coffee house, nothing was structured. I mean nothing. Anybody who wanted to get up and play and sing could. Well, there were some very wonderful instrumentalists there and wonderful, talented musicians. But I remember one guy got up, dressed all in black, hair down to his stuff, and he got up there and he did this. And then he banged on that piano like this. Banged, 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 banged. Turned around and said, this is free music. Banged and banged and banged and banged and banged. Got finished. And that whole place uh, stood up and gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> it was tripe. It was garbage. And they're all standing up. This is great. No, it was anarchy. It was musical anarchy. It's not the same thing as freedom. Freedom only comes when you have gone through the discipline of getting to the side where you can experience the grace. Why do you think that Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle of the law will pass away? I came not to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Why do you think the law is still necessary? Because we need the discipline of the law. You try to raise your kids free without teaching them to mind, and you will have absolute messes on your hands. You're going to be trying to raise them the rest of your life because you didn't do it first. Your kids have to learn the discipline before they can experience the grace. They've got to learn the basics before they can ever get to maturity, and you're no better than your kids. If we don't read this book, if we try to practice free Christianity out of our feelings, if we don't think, if we don't discipline our lives, we're going to be like the idiot on the piano. And I can say that because I've made, idiot, I've made a fool of myself many times in my life trying to be free when I wasn't disciplined, well, we're going to be like that. We're not going to be mature.
You choose. Please. For those of you with open hearts and those of you who want to be mature, every day, consistently, not as a discipline, not as only the law, but as a love letter from your Father. He wants to tell you who you are. He wants to tell you who He is. Go through the work of what it takes, and then we can be free. Would you pray with me? God, sometimes when we say there must be an easier way, there isn't. And there shouldn't be. Because character does not come by escape. Teach us, if we want to know you, that you have given us this source to know you. And that by the discipline of reading it, we will not only develop a knowledge, we will develop a way of thinking and perceiving. And then, Lord God, we will be free. We pray this in your name. Amen.